This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call on Monday, the 28th of August 2023. And we are on the backside of the Jackson Hole Symposium, which we, of course, is going to talk about. But first, a little uh, an announcement. So our great colleague, uh, John J. Hardy, um, he's uh, obviously, he's a, who would have thought? He's an ambitious guy, and but he's a clever one. And you, of course, all the regular listeners uh, already knew that. But um, he's been promoted outside our team. So as a result of that, John Hardy is already in a hurry and will not uh, with his new job. Uh, so congratulations. And uh, he will not be back on the podcast. So right now, Ole, it's uh, it's all on you and me. And of course, we have LT and we have others in the team that we can we can bring into the podcast. But with John uh, leaving the team, uh, we, we, we've we been thinking, and this was already a, a process. It probably would have started already in, in January, but now we might speed things up. We've been thinking about changing the podcast format in, in different ways. Um, we're still looking into our options and, and what to do. So um, expect things to change on the Saxo Market Call podcast, but we won't go away. So, um, and But in the meantime, we'll, we'll stick to the current format. But um, yeah, that was a little bit of an announcement. And let's jump back into that uh, Jackson Hole Symposium because uh, we can see from the reaction function across markets, the bond yields, uh, equities, etc., fairly muted. We are in a range in the S&P 500, uh, potentially established trading range. So um, it was not it was not a big deal. It wasn't, uh, Peter. And uh, and I think actually giving the markets a reaction, it was a little bit surprised that it wasn't worse uh, because I think the market had been building up a little bit of a anticipation of maybe they were going to look at this long-term inflation 2% target not being achievable and uh, lifting that potentially raising the prospect for for a rate cut sooner than expected. But we got absolutely the opposite. Uh, higher rates for longer. Uh, the, the first rate cut is now priced for, I believe, June next year. Uh, so it pushed out a month. And um, and the market is still, and the Fed is clearly still in inflation uh, combating mode. And I think in that uh, regard, uh, you have a few comments on that because uh, clearly there, there, there are some few things that they're concerned about. Yeah, I think actually stepping back a little bit. So the big the big changes we have recently seen in the long end of the yield curve is sort of tells you that the, the bond market have maybe finally woken up to the fact that it, it is higher for longer. Indeed, it's not just wording. It, it, it is higher for longer. And um, you can see that, as you say, with the SOFA contracts, which is the instrument that is used to price the Fed policy, how it has dramatically changed in terms of how fast we will get these rate cuts. And the, uh, the US economy is actually doing quite well. And um, I, I actually read... Powell's speech over the weekend. I thought it was a good idea to just get a sense of what uh, what he was saying. Um, and um, I took a, a few things out, but I'll I'll, I'll zoom in on, on the on the very last part of his um, speech, which I thought was quite interesting. He said, "In addition, there is evidence that inflation has become more responsive to labor market tightness than was the case in recent decades." So this is. Basically, the uh, the Phillips curve uh, echo from the 1970s. It is the key worry, and everyone that have been reading research papers from the World Bank, ECB, the Fed over the past 18 months will know that the wage inflation spiral dynamic and you know economic concept is the most worrying thing for a central bank because it me it it, ta- it makes it 
much harder to fight inflation. If it was only goods inflation that we had in the world, it would be fairly easy to to um, to crush that with, uh, with the punitive uh, interest rates. But as soon as you you enter this dynamic, it becomes much more uncertain. The lags are different, etc. And then he, and then to 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 gauge the the labor market tightness, we know from how the what the Fed is looking at the U.S. jobs job openings divided by the number of unemployed people in the economy. And on slide three, I've put in this time series as you can see. So we have right now, as of last month in July, uh, 1.6 job openings per every unemployed person in the economy. I would say as as you move above one. Um, in this time series, you you begin to see labor tightness and you begin to see these wage uh, dynamics filter into inflation. So right now, if you get unemployed in the U.S. Um, it, because a certain industry is cutting back or whatever, it is relatively easy to find a new job in the U.S. Um, so this is something that is uh, a cause for concern in terms of inflation, something we'll be watching. A different way of looking at how far we have to walk to get back to the so-called normal world we had before the pandemic, is the U.S. median wage growth you can see here on slide four. We we are right now at uh, 5.7%, and the uh, the long-term average, which is consistent with a, a, two, a 2% inflation target, is nominal wage growth around 3.5%. So, and as you can see on that chart, we we have considerable journey to uh, to walk right there to get back to, to those averages. So, yeah, and I don't, I don't know whether there's a good segue, Ule. I don't know whether you want to say anything. No, I think the, uh, the before the, we move on, I think the one thing we, is important as well, in, and, and basically can make this uh, sticky for longer, is, is the demographics. We're seeing a, a, a large part of the workforce uh, retiring over the next uh, decade or so, and uh, that's not only impacting, well, we've seen the impact of that in Japan for years, but also now spreading to uh, to China and the rest of the world. So, uh, again, that's that's uh, potentially making the uh, the... The hunt for 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 workers prepared to work um, is will will intensify and add add pressure upward pressure to to wages. So um, yeah, how do we segue into to the FX? Not really in a in a in a, in a smart way, but uh, what we did have overnight was some additional uh, measures uh, announcement by the Chinese government in order to stimulate the, the economy. Uh, well, actually, just to stimulate the stock market because they they lowered. Uh, stamp duty, I believe, on on uh, on stock trading. The initial reaction was pretty firm, uh, but uh, as we as we record this, the the gain on the day is is back down to uh, what you'll find in any any normal day. So, and we if we look at the currency, the the offshore remimbi is still um, did strengthen a little bit, but it's still holding above uh, that key area uh, just below uh, seven twenty seven. And for that, really, to for for any improvement, uh, wide improvements, especially I would say some of the China centric commodities to uh, to come through, we need to see the remimbi start to strengthen. And so far, that that's not been the uh, that was definitely not the bazooka that the market was was looking for. But looking at the dollar, there has been a response from speculators uh, naturally enough in recent weeks to the dollar strength that has has materialized. Overall, the market is still holding a a, a dollar short, uh, but it has been cut back uh, during the last uh, last four weeks. And as we can see here as well, and I'll, I'm being pushing, I'll publish that later today, my weekly cut report, just looking at speculative interest across markets. You can see the the bulk of the long is still in the, in the euro dollar, and that one has not suffered uh, that much of a setback uh, recently. We did break the 200-day moving average last week. Uh, if we if we build some momentum below that level, then obviously some of that uh, lens needs to come out. But uh, for now, it's the market is still pretty firmly firm believer of of, uh, of higher euro dollar prices. All right, and then uh, Ole. When you talk about the dollar, you also have to talk about the treasury market. The treasury market is uh, is one that is uh, extremely uh, shorted right now, which you 
eloquently show on, on slide three, yeah, uh, six, that, sorry. Yeah, exactly. And that also highlights what you said, uh, that the market is uh, starting to believe that uh, that long and yields has to stay higher for longer. And, uh, and, and speculators most certainly responded to that. They've been quite aggressively selling the long end. So that's T-bonds and T-bond ultra futures. Um, in in recent weeks and uh, so f- so much that we are we're hitting almost new record short levels on a weekly basis. Just remember, for every short, there's also a long. So who's holding the opposite side of the equation? The, they, these are these are asset managers, and asset managers are constantly receiving funds to invest. They obviously benefit from these higher yields buying into the bond market. So so that's why we so we have a long and short, but the short market short position tends to be more. Um, movable or tends to be more responsive to changes so uh, so that's why we we keep an eye on it and just in terms of basis points change per per, per one uh, basis point change in yield you can see that on the right hand side there that uh, that the that we got a we got an exposure close to what that's uh, 100 nearly 200 million dollars per basis point change in yield so it's a massive exposure we have there right now very much very much um and and all the i think with everything that goes on in china you can act Maybe, I, I, okay, so the way I would frame it is I'm actually surprised that the commodity market is actually holding up as, as well as it is despite of everything that is coming out of China. I don't know whether you would agree with that assessment, and I know there has been some weakness in the commodity sector, and you also uh, highlighting that on slide seven, there is still a broad selling of commodities, but I was just, I'm just still a little bit surprised that it hasn't been worse, uh, actually. Absolutely, and, uh, and I think that just highlights the uh, what sets the price of commodities. Well, one thing is uh, demand, and that's obviously one we are concerned about right now, but supply is equally important, and supply is uh, is currently tight uh, from various issues in the oil market. Production is being held uh, artificially down by, by OPEC. we got the metal space where some of the mining activities is, uh, to, a, to a certain extent, is struggling to keep up, and uh, then we have... Uh, we have the uh, the agricultural sector where where also we've we've been facing a few challenges. So I think it's important just to just to remember that uh, we can even have have very low growth and still have higher commodity prices uh, simply because supply may be, be struggling a little bit. But uh, just looking at the uh, the table from from last week again, I'll put that out in more with more details later today on slide seven. Uh, there was a we saw broad selling again uh, last week, and I think one one that was quite interesting and one potentially turning and starting to add a bit of support was the big reduction in the gold lent, uh, gold lent, uh, the the uh, the net long was reduced to a three months low, and the, uh, the, the, the there's a growth short now. With this, these are the ninety thousand lots, which is the highest in almost nine months. So, um, so the fact that gold is holding above nine hundred nineteen hundred could indicate that there are some there's some short covering coming in. So, just keep an eye on that. And one of the more elevated ones is uh, diesel, and uh, that makes sense. Uh, diesel inventories are relatively low, and uh, to match insult. Injury to insult, insult to injury, uh, or is the other way around. Uh, we had a fire at a, a big refinery in the U.S. on Friday, and that uh, saw led to some uh, even higher price in, uh, across uh, fuel fuel based uh, contracts. So, um, so these are some of the the outliers we are we are watching there right now. And and in oil markets, um, it's getting it's getting interesting. Not so much because of the of the crude oil price itself, but all the refined products. And um, I don't think you have put in the the jet fuel. Uh, here, but I, I read an article. Yep. I read an article in in Bloomberg where they said that the rebound in travel activity in China is is causing a significant pressure potentially on on jet fuel prices globally right now. So that that's an that's not something we want uh, now. Nope. And 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 the problem with jet fuel is that it's it's such a small part of the 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 barrel when you produce uh, refined products. So uh, so even though there's a screaming demand for jet fuel. 
you not as a refinery starting to increase production because just to produce uh, that percentage extra of jet fuel because your bulk of your production is gasoline, diesel, and uh, and so on. Um, so that it's a bit like uh, a bit like the the automobile industry that even if platinum prices goes up uh, significantly, it's not as if they are they are it's having a a major impact on on uh, on the availability of, of platinum. So so. Um, it's true. We have almost uh, gone full circle now in, in jet fuel uh, demand globally. We are back to levels so I've seen before the pandemic in 2020. But uh, the tightness there is not necessarily one that's going to translate into into um, bigger uh, refinery activity. So jet fuel is more expensive and uh, so will your flight, uh, your travel be. And uh, on the slide here, I just, I just highlight these, uh, the gasoline and diesel. And, and obviously diesel is the one that's that's the product product that's used to produce uh, jet fuel. So uh, it gives an idea about the, the the price trends we've got there. And and just look at, at Brent crude. We've had the correction. We uh, we we bounced after uh, before even correcting thirty eight point two percent from a Fibonacci perspective. That's relatively strong signal. So now we need to see whether we can make it back above eighty five and rekindle some momentum. And uh, that will be the watch in the coming days. All right. I think that that diesel that diesel price is interesting because it's what makes the world move. Uh, basically, the goods around the world, and so higher jet fuel prices for uh, for airlines um, and higher diesel prices. Obviously, you know that that goes into you know more <laughs> it goes into more expensive logistics and higher prices in that part of the economy, transportation. Yeah. So uh, and heavy machinery. Yeah. So um, I, another another uh, another factor in this whole higher for longer on inflation, and then. Quickly on slide nine, stocks to watch today. We already mentioned it that the the Chinese regulators they may they reduce trading costs for Chinese uh, for Chinese equities and initially the Hang Seng futures were up as much as three point two percent and last time I checked before we went into the studio only up one percent. So it's already been faded and um, we have Evergrande that briefly opened up for trading. Uh, the uh, the failed or failing uh, real estate developer crashed ninety uh, percent. So I still think the jury is out on uh, on China. Um, to some extent, it, it seems like a slow motion. Uh, I don't know whether train wreck is the right expression. That that seems like maybe a little bit too harsh, but it is. It is a, a significant slowdown in the Chinese economy, and it, there is a lot of tough policy decisions ahead uh, for China in the in the coming years. And then one of the things I mentioned uh, it was an interesting uh, news that came over the um, over the wire. DSV, which is one of the largest logistics firms in the world, is out with the news that they have invested more than three hundred million euros in robotics technology. Uh, to increase their, you know, their warehouse efficiency, I think it's also a sign that there is labor tightness, and I think labor tightness is one of those things that's going to accelerate automation adoption. So, robotic stocks in all its uh, paraginations, I think, should be uh, be looked upon from a long-term investor pers- perspective, and it's definitely something I'm going to write an equity note uh, equity note on later this week. So, stay tuned for that one on analysis.saxo. and then slide ten, the earnings watch we. We previewed it a little bit on on Friday's podcast, but um, uh, we'll just make a little bit of a reminder here. So, nothing really to mention today, but tomorrow already we have HP, the uh, consumer arm of uh, Hewlett Packard, and then we have Neo reporting as well. And then later this week, the big uh, earnings story obviously is going to be Salesforce, one of the largest software companies in the world, CrowdStrike on cybersecurity and pure storage, which is part of our AI. Uh, list or basket, if you will. And in terms of the macro calendar, we're on on slide eleven. Um, I think we we're moving into you know a quiet week at, at least initially. Um, yeah. and maybe tomorrow we have a little bit of the U.S. conference board consumer confidence. Maybe that's interesting. Today we have the Dallas Fat uh, manufacturing activity. I don't think that's going to move a lot of things. And um, 
We have U.S. Uh, jobs report later on Friday. We have the PCE deflator on uh, Thursday. So a couple of interesting data points there on the inflation and the economy. And then I keep I'll keep asking you this. Uh, you know the the U.S. crop conditions and spring wheat harvested report is out later today. And, Indeed. and it, how important is it? It is important. Okay. And, we, and we like to add that on a Monday. And uh, and I think especially now that we where we had a. Weather-wise, we had a good July and we had a good August, but a heat wave is coming back and uh, it's it's hitting the soybean crop at a at a critical time. So we got soybean prices uh, up this uh, this past couple of weeks. Uh, so I think with that in mind, we'll just basically see if the conditions starting to deteriorate with the with the heat wave coming in. And at the same time, we got a, a tropical storm. Uh, fi- well, not finally because we obviously would like to see that being avoided. But there's a tropical storm heading to heading towards this, uh, the U.S. Uh, seems like it's going to hit Florida um, later this week. Week. So, um, so no, potentially no damage to uh, to crops, but uh, but uh, an infrastructure. So, uh, but it's obviously we are into the hurricane season now, and we need to keep an eye on that as well. All right, I think that's a wrap, as John Hardy would say. And uh, yeah, we'll be back same time and place tomorrow. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>